It be too late to alter course, matey, and there be plundering pirates lurking in every cove. And mark well me words, matey, dead men tell no tales. <laughs> the code is more what you call guidelines than actual rules. Welcome aboard the Black Pearl. Welcome to the Pirates of the Caribbean Minute, a daily podcast where we analyze, scrutinize, and plunder the Pirates of the Caribbean films one blimey minute at a time. I'm Scott Artis from ScottArtis.com. And I'm Heather Artis from ScottArtis.com. Oh, I mean BlackPearlMinute.com. You don't even know where you're from, and that's not a joke, actually. You're just all over the place. Whatever. In fact, you were so ready to jump in with something, I could see your mouth moving while I was saying where I was from. You were already prepared. I wasn't, actually. Thanks for joining us for Minute 124 of The Curse of the Black Pearl. After yesterday's bright auction rant and coming off the 4th of July holiday, I thought we all needed a serenity now. Serenity now moment to ease us back into the week. Those midweek holidays are both a blessing and a curse, an Aztec curse. So I'm glad we did have a long weekend to avoid the suffering, and now we can bask in the fortune of a short week. Nothing says awesomeness like a Three short day. week at work. <laughs> Three-day week? <laughs> yeah. That sounds good to me. <laughs> exactly. You could use that all the time. Blasted, where's my trust fund? Yeah. If anybody is out there looking to share a trust fund, you can contact me. I have all kinds of projects you might be interested in. <laughs> Don't all come batting at us at once, because I can only take one at a time. But Are you sure? Ah! No, actually. Hmm. There might be a euphemism in there somewhere. I <laughs> don't know. <laughs> Oh, no, I'll come back. So are we ready for minute time? Yep. I don't want to be daydreaming over here now. In the previous minute, Kohler does his best impersonation of a dying Barbosa. How dare you? The body's still warm, and that means it's too soon to be mocking the dead. Way too soon. And definitely too late in the flick to try and catch the empathy of the audience. Can't throw in some comedic moments at the end by trying to impersonate Barbosa. It just doesn't fly with us. No, not at all. Meanwhile, Governor Swan discovers the best place to keep... Your man meat is not in the drawer, but in the refrigerator. What? What's wrong? It's me. What's this arm? Uh-huh. That's what I was talking about. Uh-huh. There was this guy's arm. I know. In the drawer. I Obviously, know. it was a nasty, decayed flesh thing going on in I there. I know. Needed to be in the refrigerator. That's all I was yeah. talking about. Uh-huh. Otherwise, you end up with it spoiled to the bone. See? That's what's going on. On the other hand, Twig opts for a neck stretching. Mulroy and Murtaugh share a moment in the limelight. Rigetti finds his wood. I. Pintel stands for parlay. And Norrington saves face by not losing a second ship. Wow. Talk about euphemisms. What? Yeah. yeah. I don't know what you're talking about. Whatever, dude. I was doing a rehash of the last I minute. I know. I know. These things I don't see. You obviously have a dirty mind and you keep coming back to them. Uh-huh. I'm just... Uh-huh. expressing what I saw in the last minute. I know. Minute 124 begins at the British Royal Navy and Marines shouting in triumph while Norrington holds Twig at sword point. It's interesting the stuff you've seen in the last minute that I did not see. <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what? All yeah. that was there. Uh-huh. It's very interesting. No, all uh-huh. that was there. Mm. You need to scrutinize the minutes more if you're not catching some of this stuff. I know. I did miss that stuff. 
Governor Swan. You must Pierce- be looking for it all, though. I'm not looking for it. It just stands out because uh-huh. it's there. Everybody sees it out there. That's why I'm doing the rehash, just so everybody goes, oh, yeah, that's the scene. They all know exactly what I'm talking about. I know. Now, do you mind if I continue on with my <laughs> minute for today? <laughs> Governor Swan peers from behind the broken glass and with a smile emerges from the captain's quarters to join the rest of the crew celebrating on deck of the HMS Dauntless. The minute ends with Elizabeth Swan telling Will Turner, we should return to the Dauntless. I just said Dauntless. You I don't did. like when two Dauntless, words come together Dauntless. like that. Will responds, your fiancé will be wanting to know you're safe. Elizabeth turns away without a word. This minute has some classic politician stereotype action in it. Because that's where I'm going to start. We'll leave the big step for a second. Are you talking about Governor Swan? Yeah, Governor Swan. Hmm. I'm surprised you caught on with that. Most of the time your mind is in a fog. In a natural fog. Ah! My brain's rocks or something. <laughs> I said it's in an unnatural God. fog. I didn't say it was rocks. That would be rude. Saying my brain's in an unnatural fog is also rude. That's just hazy. Just hazy. No. Governor Swan sees the pirates have surrendered. The fighting is done. He walks on deck celebrating like he's been fighting all along. (laughs) Gives a couple of fake punches to one of the pirates. And then continues reveling in the win. This reminds me of the mayor on Andy Griffith for some reason. Yeah, that is actually a good analogy for that. Really is that great analogy because this is such a politician trope, or at least one you see in the movies or television shows, when it comes to the classic governor or mayor or anything like that. Often they try to take credit for what the hero did, but here he just joins the crew. I'm one of you. I was fighting too. He just joins the crew. I have proof. Here's my arm. Yeah. His man meat. Or, yeah. (laughs) It was. It's like when you go to the pirate fair Uh or the renaissance fair, you get the turkey leg. That's what it was. That's all I'm talking about. I don't know what you're reading into that. It's like a lump of flesh there. Okay, then Google. I'm not Googling. (laughs) Okay, then. (laughs) Okay, then. Why why don't you want to Google? Because I already know what turkey legs and arms look like. What? What? I just told you. If you obviously have something in mind that you wanted to deal with. You can Google that on your own time, and you can share it in our Facebook yeah. group, Cursed Crew Listeners Facebook group. Everybody can share <laughs> what happened when they Googled that. But it's actually a good moment for Governor Swan's character, in all honesty, because he does man up when fighting the severed arm. Not quite on par with some of the other. <laughs> I said he could show proof. I got exactly. proof I was fighting. That's what I'm saying. Or he, the pirate who tried to steal his wig, he fought him back for that. He had his little it's mini win same for that. arm. One is the arm, and one is the pirate. Oh, okay. Two separate things he had to fight here. In his mind, he really did his part. It's a little, but nonetheless, he wasn't hiding or being whisked off to safety by the military, as usually happened. Well, he kind of was He was, was still, hiding. He was hiding, but he was still fighting while hiding. It's not like he was just tucked away really? hiding. He was fighting for his wig. Yeah, I, we talked about what that meant, though. I know. It was fighting for justice. I know. That was the symbol of it, because he wouldn't let the wig go. That was yes. his little win. That was his contribution to what was happening and all he could muster, because he really lacked those fighting skills. Yes. I mean, he didn't even have a sword. He had to beat that hand with some maps. Oh, and a candlestick. Well, the he, arm took, with he the broke it off with a candlestick. Yeah. But later he beat on it with... Uh, with maps. Exactly. I think he'd just pull out the candlestick again. Well, you would think. But he still does get that win. It is really that classic politician trope of, I did it. He's patting himself on the back, exactly. 
and joining the crew. Like, I am one of you. And the next time elections come up, go ahead and then give me uh, I'm one of you. Do you want to see my arm? <laughs> what does that mean? His arm. I think if you ask somebody, do you want to see my arm? There's something going on there. <laughs> That's how people get arrested. <laughs> An arm? Flashing. An arm? Oh, now all of a sudden you're done with euphemisms. So that wasn't your euphemism to show me your arm? No. How dare you? How dare you? There's no euphemism. You tricked me. You made, you started off with all these euphemisms and then you go ahead and then throw that out. And when I call you on it, you say, what are you talking about? Yeah. That's ridiculous. The big serious piece of this minute is not Heather trying to entrap me. Huzzah! Huzzah! No, but I have information on that. Oh, okay. I figured I would save that to the end because that's like the history. Wah, wah, wah. And everybody is like, oh my God. And see, now look what you did. They're going to shut this off early. Oh, God, I hope I don't get to the history part. Oh, it's too late. So, no. Is the seriousness Elizabeth being mad at Will again? Yes, the seriousness is the interaction between Will and Elizabeth in this minute. I know you blasted me yesterday regarding the symbol of Rigetti's eye, which I'm still a little angry at. I blast you. I said you were stretching it a little. That's all. I wasn't stretching it a little. That's what I saw. Again, I'm seeing things you're not, so obviously, uh-huh. it's like... I'm I know you're seeing ab- things I'm not... I'm a step above not you. Not looking for those things. How dare you? I'm analyzing, scrutinizing, and plundering the Pirates of the Caribbean films one blimey minute at a time, and I'm bringing to the masses the stuff that they want to hear about the movie. They're like, my God, look at that insight. Yeah, I know, we have to deal with Heather, but we do get Scott, and those benefits really outweigh the Heather. Is what they say. So yeah, you blasted me yesterday, so I'm a little reluctant to bring this up. But there is an artistic cinematography thing happening here. When we first see Elizabeth looking at the treasure with her back to us. We see her reflection in a pool of water on the cave's floor. And before you jump to conclusions, I want you to just hear me out. Before I'm you start. listening. I'm just saying, I'm prepared in case. And I hear anything I don't like, I may throw in a walk the plank on there. So just so you know. Essentially, we get two views of her. The real Elizabeth and the reflection, okay? The reflection is what her heart really desires, her dream, her Will Turner. The real Elizabeth is the one who's promised to marry Norrington. Both of these Elizabeths have their back to us. Their kind of head is down. They're in this kind of moment of contemplation, deciding what is really the right thing to do. Keep her promise or follow her heart. That's what she's doing with the treasure. She's thinking about, okay, now that this fight's done, this is my options. This is what I promised. So we get a split of Elizabeth with that scene, the reflection, and with the real one, because it's a symbol of the dichotomy of her decision that she has to make. Either follow her heart or follow her promise, her mind. Okay. Oh, you want to blast that? I can see it on your face. No, I'll accept it. You'll accept that one? Sure. I didn't really buy it. You'll see the sure? It's not like, oh my God, this is a great moment. It's a great moment. How dare you patronize me? (laughs) That's ridiculous. That was a moment of brilliance. There's two decisions she has to make. We saw both of them kind of in the split. It's just the symbol that she has this. I don't know why I even bother anymore. Unfortunately, since I'm going to just move along, nothing to see here, folks, besides some awesomeness. But nothing to see here because Heather's just uh, beating me down with it. She's got... A man-meat arm just hitting me with it, like Governor Swan did with the map. Unfortunately, My question is, where am I hitting you? In the face? Yeah, in the face. Unfortunately, as they are having this serious, heartfelt moment, Jack, and this is like the ever the pirate Jack, is making all kinds of racket in the background looking through treasure. 
interrupting them. Even Will has to look back. Really? Are you kidding me with all the noise? They're trying to have a moment together. Well, they were going to, my opinion, they were going to kiss again. This was another moment when the kiss was interrupted. Yeah, that's kind of what, oh, that's a good point. Yeah. See how I can mention that with heartfelt sincerity? Got something to work on there over there. (laughs) But that is good. But really, this is the same reaction when I'm intently listening to a minute and taking notes. Heather comes along, kicks the glass against the ice dispenser, and the ice drowns out just what I was trying to hear. Usually, this is the second time because she has already walked into the room talking to me or the dogs at the exact moment that I was trying to hear in the first place. So I rewind it. Then her glass goes. She has a superpower of knowing exactly when I'm hanging on the edge of a piece of dialogue and trying to hear what was going on. She's an X-Men. That's all I have to say. The other unfortunate part is that our Boy Scout Will Turner fails to deliver a kiss, but instead brings up Norrington. What the hell are you thinking? Elizabeth turned away because Jack was interrupted with all the racket. Now, my question was... Elizabeth turned away? Well, she kind of... Because they were going to kiss, and then she kind of turned to see the racket, and then... Will Will turns to see the racket, too. He turns around. Then... First, Elizabeth turns away from the kiss. Okay. Then Will turns away from the kiss. My question in my mind, though, was Jack really making all this racket? Because he is attracted to Elizabeth. I don't know. Are you kidding? Just it's something I'm throwing out there. I don't know, though. I mean, okay, if, if we were isolated in this one particular minute, I'd think you have a solid argument. But knowing what comes next... In the dialogue we that happens next. don't know what comes next, though. Okay, in this particular minute alone, ding, there's an asterisk that's a popping up a, like a bubble above my head that says, yeah, we know what's in the next minute, so maybe this doesn't hold. But in this particular minute, that maybe is a viable breakdown. Because you could say, okay, if Jack can't... Ha- so if this is me talking as Jack, if Jack, because he talks in the third person now, if Jack <laughs> can't have Elizabeth, then nobody can have Elizabeth. Right. Possibly, but I do know what comes in the next minute. I'm just saying. And I'm just saying that... you don't know what comes in the next minute because you haven't looked at it yet. I'm just telling you that I think that that could be a solid argument, but I know what comes next. And so I think Jack is just oblivious oblivious to that they're having this moment to a point. But see, then he mentions the moment in the future minute. God, I don't know what the hell is going on. My mind's going to explode. Because they were interrupted before when they were going to have a kiss. And now they're interrupted again when they were going to kiss. Maybe he didn't think that the noise should have interrupted that, though. Uh, I don't think so. But then why would he in the... Man, damn these minute formats. I need to talk about the next minute right now. Okay, we're going to have to put this off until tomorrow then. We're going to have to put it off until tomorrow and then have that, that discussion. We'll have to rehash and break it down because... Okay, that's some good stuff. We'll just move along then. Oh, that's interesting. Now I'm going to be thinking about yeah, that. Yeah, exactly. But what was Will thinking, though? I mean, there are no rules on Isla de Muerta. No classes, no promises. Just do it. Even if there's noise. Yet, he opts to make her cry and walk off, basically. Well, she turned away. Didn't I just say that? He yeah. did it. That's because he brought up the whole Norrington thing. He gets, well, yeah. I mean, I get that he's ticked off and honorable. And I get that he's trying to assess her feelings on Norrington. Like, is this something that she really wanted? Right. But forget that and just do it. Yeah, he drops the ball. Oh, yeah. But that's what I'm saying. He should have just tried it and gone for it instead of worrying about the noise or instead of 
I wonder if she really likes Norrington since she agreed to marry him. He's stuck on this Miss Swan thing still. And uh-huh. then it turned her off and she walked away all ticked off and made her cry. Yep. Damn that Will Georgie Porgy. His stature and his honor get in the way. Yeah, his stature and his honor. Well, his stature, his status. Okay, yes. He has a pretty good stature, I imagine. Works out a lot. <laughs> Whatever. I don't know how his tall he is. His status and his I mean, he's honor. been in a few movies. He's an elf for crying okay, out loud. Okay, okay, okay. His status and his honor get in the way. Yeah, and it has gotten in the way before, just like when he f- was fighting Jack, because he opted for the honorable fight, and Jack pirated him by throwing cocoa powder in his eye from the, the vent or the funnel thing that was going on in the blacksmith shop. From the hot the chocolate soot. machine. Yeah, the soot. So, it does happen to him. But the problem is, is he's dang there. I mean, he's right on the verge of completing his piratehood. Right. He just needs to embrace the pirate. Embrace his inner pirate. And go from there. But no, he didn't. Nope. He made her cry and upset her, ticked her off. Exactly. What can you say about that? Mm. Have to tune in tomorrow as we try and delve into the Jackus Interruptus hypothesis. Okay, if everybody wants it, here's a little history. Huzzah! 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 Yeah, thank you for that. Those little innocuous words of celebration the Marines and sailors are shouting have their origins from earlier sailors' cries. Huzzah! And Hissah, from the mid to late 1500s. A specific range is 1565 to 1575. Just a throwaway couple of shouts that are going on by all these guys, but it actually has some interesting bits of history associated with it. But whatever its origins, it does have this occasional literary use, and as I mentioned, was seen at the time of Shakespeare, and was first written in 1573. The origin of the word in its various forms is not clear, but it may have been influenced by war cries from various languages, and there's a lot of different theories or potential origins from that a lot of different languages by looking at the poetry and writings of the late 1700s you see words like say play day which are used to rhyme with huzzah so it was actually pronounced in the say 1700s as huzay or Mm. huzay more with a say a play kind of day right because i like to rhyme there you go so it had a different pronunciation at least yeah. back then in the 1700s and the 1800s in the 18th and 19th centuries three huzzas were given by british infantry before a bayonet charge and that was a way of building morale and intimidating the enemy Huh? how intimidating is huzzah well if you have a bunch of people running at you with bayonets and they're yelling at you it's already not good enough when you go you know, i think those guys are coming out with pointy metal objects <laughs> i don't want to be stabbed today no and now they're yelling at you? Kind of puts you off your game a little bit. That's when kind you of yell at me, it puts me off my game. How dare you? Did that work? Yeah. Yes. What about when I come at you with a bayonet? Does that intimidate that you at all? That really intimidates me. I probably shouldn't do that. Probably not. Oh, that'll be my New Year's resolution. Not it's to... slight spousal abuse. Really? I don't really... Don't call anybody. I don't really bayonet her. <laughs> On a regular basis. <laughs> only when she's been uh, bad. Only when she deserves it. <laughs> Trying to get me in trouble. It's not like I bayonet you all the time or That's stab you with the bayonet yeah. all the time. Just, it's, what, once or twice a year? That's it. On my birthday. Yeah, on your birthday. Christmas. have to give you some lashings. <laughs> <laughs> God. There is an interesting... So I'm going to move off the history because I didn't really want to get into too much of the language on that. Because okay. that could really get dry. 
What's interesting? But there is an interesting deleted scene that pops up for our characters. Well, our characters last stint on Isla de Muerta. And it seems to bring up a few questions or gives us clues to how the final film evolved. Because there is a scene where Will is standing at the chest, prompting Jack to return the Aztec gold. Yeah. Really? I see the confusion on your face. So Jack walks up and throws a few coins in and then cuts his hand just before he drops the last coins in. So he had multiple coins on him. He took not just one that we see him palm, but in the cut scene, this deleted scene, he actually had more than that. So he throws some in, then he cuts his hand and drops a couple more in after he does the blood repay. Well, I wonder if that's why they kind of change things. But why wouldn't Barbosa be dead? Because I was wondering if that would confuse people if they showed that. And then maybe that's why they went back and did the reshoot of him pocketing so you could really see that he took a coin. Yeah. And then they show he just took one and maybe that's why they dropped the multiple coins thing. But why would that not in the curse for Barbosa? Because Barbosa's crew was one element. Bootstrap, repaid. they repaid all of the gold that they had. Jack is like a new repaid curse. Because... They have to repay. Yeah, they have to repay everything they took because okay. somebody could just show up on Isla de Muerte if they had been there before in the Uncharted Island and took something, and Barbosa and his crew would never know that there was still one piece missing. They have to return everything that was theirs. I think all the coins have to be in the chest to end the curse. To end the curse, not like a matter of. These are the ones I took? No. I think it has to be the ones you took. No, I think it's all the coins. Because if that's the case, then every time somebody... No, it's not. If that was the case, every time somebody threw their coin in there, they their curse would be done. No, because they took them all as a group. Right. But they got them all back. They were only needed bootstraps. Because they took them as a group, though. They took no, all the coins. I don't think that the chess isn't that smart. It's not that smart. It doesn't know that. But think about it. If they took them all as a group. I'm denying you again. They took them all as a group. Mm-hmm. Then they'd have to repay them all as a group and make sure that they were all done. Maybe that's why they took this out because it was confusing. Maybe it got too much into, okay, does it work that way? Does it not work that way? Yeah. Because what if somebody else came and stole coins? You could be screwed by somebody that you don't even know. You're like, are we seriously missing a coin? I thought we got all these back in there. I don't know. That's something I have to look up then. It's an interesting concept. We might have to pose this in the listeners group, but I don't know. That's why I was asking the question. All the coins have to be in the bucket. Well, that's what they opted with in the film, but does that really hold true? That's the question I don't know. I could go either way on it. I don't really have a fight in this battle. Are you sure? No. Seem to. I don't. I'm just trying to pose it. I'm just wondering why you were so quick to dismiss it without giving it proper thought. That's all. But anyways, because you're trying to sideline and get us into these details, it's like we're dissecting this movie minute by minute. Why are you so (laughs) detail-oriented? It's crazy. But when he drops the last coin in, or just before he drops the last coin in, he says, the immortal Captain Jack Sparrow had such a lovely ring to it. Obviously, there was something that happened with the ending that Jack didn't get the curse lifted at the same time Barbosa did, as we see in the final film, for this particular cut or deleted scene. But that maybe. Jack kept more than one coin or took more coins after Barbosa dies. And I think the first is more plausible, but in the final cut, they opted to have the curves lifted for everyone at the same time. Once all the coins are returned, the chest closes under its own power in this deleted scene. Oh, really? So it kind of just shoves on over and closes back up. 
But what do you think of that? Does that change Jack's persona at all? I mean, contemplating keeping a couple of coins and living with the curse. What do you think? I don't know. Oh, this you don't have a thought on, but other things you just really jump into it. I think it wraps up nicely as we see in the final movie. Yeah. There was no need to have more supernatural chest action or throw light on the fact that Jack, after all, is a pirate. Yeah. Supernatural chest action. Yeah. Supernatural chest action. Are you reading something into that already? No. Like now I, said, I am. He's like I said, he is a pirate after all, so we know that he's interested in the treasures and stuff. Right. But he's too much into the pleasures of life to want yeah. to deal with a curse. And I don't think that's up to his character. No. However, I do like the line the immortal Captain Jack Sparrow thing has a lovely ring to it. Because that could have been weaved in because that does fit with his obsession with everyone calling him captain or being heard of. That yeah. could have been something after the fact. Like, I really did want to keep one of those coins. It had a nice ring to it, yeah. something like that. But yeah, having him um, think about that, I don't think his character would have fallen in line. Unless it was just more of a tongue-in-cheek thing that played off with the rest of it. That he was actually thinking about keeping some of those coins. And Will is kind of like, hey, you got to put these back. Yeah. He wouldn't listen to Will anyway. No. He could care less what Will had to say. That's the other thing. It wouldn't make sense that Will no. is kind of prompting him to do that because he wouldn't really listen to no, Will. No, like, he wouldn't care. What's it like, matter? Yeah. Go ahead and stab me. I'm immortal. Yeah. On my last behind-the-scenes observation for today, Terry and Ted completely throw out the idea of a one, two, and three traditional acts of a film. And these are the writers, screenwriters. Oh, are they? Yeah, just in case you didn't know because, trust me, half the time you don't know what's going on here. Again with the foggy head? I didn't say it. Whatever, I'm surprised maybe. you remembered that, though. Did you write that down? <laughs> I'm going to get blasted on Twitter now for being rude to you. Well, again. you should. Well, then I apologize. And usually you will see... I accept see... your apology. <laughs> no, that's my thing. Usually, and it's trademarked, by the way. Usually you will see once the villain dies, there is a very small tie-up of loose ends for the main characters. For instance... Like, Will would kiss Elizabeth, and then the credits would roll, and that's it. We don't really know what happens with the wedding. We just assume that she ended up going with Will in the traditional kind of sense of a movie. However, with Curse of the Black Pearl, it's not ending with the death of Barbosa. It doesn't end until all the characters' stories are over. There's still about eight minutes left of the story in action, not including the credits, but actual eight minutes of the story after the villain dies, which is a long time. Yeah. And that's unusual. All the other action is wrapped up. Our villain is dead. And we got eight minutes left. So I like the idea as it fits with the beginning of the movie, which didn't go with a normal credit start and we go through all that, but it just rolled right into the spooky and natural fog. We just go right into the movie thing. And here we're not ending the movie with tradition either. We're just kind of moving that forward until everybody gets everything wrapped up, all their little stories, and we have a final closure to the story. We're not sitting there going, oh, I wonder if they got together or not. We just see him kiss and we'd make those assumptions and then yeah. whatever. So that's what I like about that. I also like how, well, I should say I like when it movies do that and have that extra story wrap up at the end. Only if it plays into the movie. Because you've seen some before and I can't name any offhand right now. But where it drags out or some the ending drags out a little bit longer. And it's not pertinent to the movie at all. Or quite possibly that I'm just not invested in the character. So if you're not really invested in the character, you're like, who gives a rats yeah buccaneer what happened to them at the end right you're just like okay the action's done let's get over with but here invested in the characters you want to see what actually happens with jack what's going to happen when they get back to the dauntless or the black pearl does he get it back all these kinds of things we're all 
kind of curious of what's yeah. going on with that. So I think it works here. I'm glad it they, does work here. I'm glad they took that option to forego just the three traditional acts and kind of end it right at the death of the villain deal. Yeah. Anything else? That's all I have for today. So it's possible we're going to end on a thought about endings. Is that really going to happen? End on a thought about, yes. Well, that's a hot dog. There you go. So we'll be back tomorrow with minute 125 of The Curse of the Black Pearl. If Heather remembers that we're coming back tomorrow. On the Pirates of the Caribbean minute. (laughs) Can't accept my apology. I accept your apology. Until then, let's keep the horns swoggling and the Twitter bashing of Scott to a minimum. Heather, no surprise to find you in the tavern with a tankard full of rum in your hand. What was that for? You said you were going to meet me at the Pirates of the Caribbean Minute Cursed Listeners Crew Facebook group hours ago. I was? Mother's love! Why'd you slap me again? That's for not reminding people how to contact us. Get to it, you filthy bilge rat! Man, I obviously get no respect around here. So Scallywags, thanks for listening. If you like the show, give us a review on iTunes. It helps us out, and we greatly appreciate it. Have a question or comment? Give us a call at 8637-PIRATE. We just might play your voicemail on the show. You can also give us a shout at podcast at blackpearlminute.com. And don't forget to join the post-episode brawls on Facebook, our Facebook listeners group, and on Twitter. If you're interested in best of clips, you can find us on SoundCloud. All the links are on blackpearlminute.com. It's that easy. It's that easy.